Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. We're actually finishing Romans chapter 6 this morning. We've been working through the book of Romans all year, and we've been working through chapter 6 for a few weeks now. And this morning, we're just going to look at the last four verses, kind of the concluding paragraph. And uh, it ends very famously with this statement that the wages of sin is death. So if you uh, turn in your Bible or you look at the text and your order of worship, we'll just look at that final paragraph. Paul writes, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to tell you two stories about paychecks, uh, first paychecks, my first paycheck and my dad's first paycheck and the lessons that can be learned. Do you remember the first time you got a paycheck? You might be too young to have a job, in which case you haven't gotten one yet. Um, and this story is going to burst your bubble a little bit when you find out what it's like. Because the first time you get a job and you start working and people give you money for it, you're going to have all this money of your own that you don't have to ask anyone for. It's yours by right. It's exciting. When the time comes around for you get to get the check, a lot of people these days, your check just gets deposited automatically or something happens in the cloud. But when I started working, we didn't have that stuff. It was all old-fashioned paper. And so I remember vividly getting the envelope that had the check inside. And for some reason, they're never sealed. Like the flap is still kind of flapping, easy to get a paper cut as you rush inside and you whip out that check. And I looked at the check, and the first thing I saw was the big number I was being paid. Now, it wasn't that big, but for me, by my standards, it was pretty impressive that all that money was mine. And then I looked more closely at the check, and I saw that there were these little lines underneath in smaller prints. And they had these deviations that, that didn't really mean anything to me and other numbers. But, but what they were was like deductions. Money was being taken away out of my check in taxes. State taxes, federal taxes, all these little fees and stuff. So that the big number, the money that I had earned was actually whittled down I'm like 30, 40, 50, I felt a little bit like all of it had been taken away from me right out of the bat. I had never really understood what taxation was until that moment. And I realized the government is stealing from me. This isn't fair. It isn't right. It, it makes no sense at all. And most importantly, I never agreed to this. No one ever asked. Whenever I took the job, they didn't ask me to sign off on whether or not I was happy to be taxed. I would have said, no, I am not. I am not willing. I do not consent to this taxation. No one had even asked. I was sort of under this yoke. I was sort of been born into it, and everyone just assumed 
I was going to be okay with it, and I wasn't. It's like you weren't the first time you got that shock. Now, scripturally speaking, according to our Lord, taxation isn't theft. It isn't robbery. We must render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. It is right to pay our taxes. It is wrong not to pay them. But sometimes in the heat of the moment, you have feelings that are not entirely godly. And that's the way I felt. The injustice of it. I had been born into a system which I had never consented. And as a result, something was being taken from me. People said, well, they used that money to fix the roads or stuff like that. I was okay with having bad roads. Like, it, it wasn't a thing to me. Like, I just, it, it was a trauma. Eventually, I got used to it. Now it's normal. Now I understand. That's the way things were. But I just wasn't conscious of that aspect of the way the world works. A lot of us have that experience. Like we grow up imagining, you know, okay, this is what I'm going to get. And then you realize, no, the way it works is actually you owe all of this. Like you don't get to keep it all. Like the, 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 it's more complicated than that. It can be a little eye-opening. Make you think, you know what? I need a job that pays more so I can have like what I thought I was going to have to begin with. That was my first paycheck. It was a little bit of an astonishing thing to get. But my dad used to always tell this story about his first paycheck. I think even better. Uh, my dad spent half of his life as an educator and half of his life as an entrepreneur. Uh, when I say he spent half of his life as an educator, that's not exactly right. He spent the first half of his life as a coach. He was an athletics guy. He had run track in high school and college, and then he got his master's in education, but then he went back to coaching. So he coached college sports and uh, all sorts of different sports. I remember he would referee basketball games, coach football, do all sorts of things, and teach history. And the only thing I inherited from him was the love of history, uh, which he actually doesn't love. He just had to teach it as part of his job as a coach. But uh, None of the other things passed down, sadly. But my dad had this awakening. He got his dream job after getting out of school. He was coaching at uh, the university he graduated from. He was working with the, the guys who'd been his role models that he looked up to. You know, the reason that he was on the path he was on is that one day he wanted to be like these guys. And so when he went, you know, the paycheck, everybody was getting paid at the same time. They're all walking into the parking lot at home. My dad gets his first paycheck. He opens it up, and he kind of dreams of the future. Right? He's just starting out. He knows he's at the bottom, but one day he'll be at the top, and, and that paycheck will look a lot different. And then one of his mentors is walking out to the car next to him, and he's got his paycheck, and he sees my dad and, and you know decides he's going to let a little bit of air out of his balloon. And so he says, hey, let me, let me have a look at that. Let me, let me see that check. My dad hands over his check, shows it to the head coach. Head coach takes out his check, says, take a look at mine. And my dad takes a look, and he's a little surprised because the number on the check is actually not that much higher than the number that's on my dad's check. And he's thinking, wait a second. So I'm starting off in the job, and I'm making this, and he's living the life I dream of one day attaining, and he's making that. Maybe I'm not living the right life. And then he went on 
to do something else. He had a reality check because the wages of his labor turned out to be not what he had anticipated. Not what he had anticipated. Now, we go to work for a lot of different reasons. We talk about this at Grace at Work, and it's not true what we often tell ourselves, that the most important thing about work is the paycheck. But it does matter, right? It does matter. You've got bills to pay. You've got responsibilities to keep. You can understand uh, the importance of those wages. So that it feels bad if you don't get everything that you thought you earned. And also, if you find out that what you're doing doesn't pay what you thought it did, that gets you thinking as well. Paul is going into this territory in our text. Paul is, is raising this question of, of wages earned and how wages work in relation to gifts, the differences involved. And again, Paul is administering a kind of reality check. And you might imagine here we are, you know, looking at, at, at our results, imagining what might be in the future. And now Paul comes along and says, no, wait a second. Let me tell you what the wages are for the work that you've done. Let me tell you about what you've earned. And it comes as a reality check. Essentially, Paul is asking believers to look back at what it was like before Christ changed them, to look at the fruit of their labors, and he's asking, what did that amount to? What did you get for what you did? You used to serve another master. How did he pay? How did that work out? And then once he's asked you to consider that, he turns and says, now how, do, how, how about serving God? How is that different? How are the fruit different serving God compared to serving sin? And then, once we've compared the two, it gives us this idea of, of the wage versus the gift. There's a similarity between serving sin and serving God. You do get something as a result. There is a payment, so to speak. As a result, there's fruit results. But there's also a huge difference between the two, an incalculable difference between the two. Remember, you may be a Christian, but, but that doesn't mean you don't sin. Obviously, you continue to sin. You are still a sinner, despite your best efforts and intentions. And as we said last time, we have to stop thinking of our sin as an expression of freedom. We have to start believing that when we're disobedient, what we're showing about ourselves is how free we are. Because Paul says, no, sin is not an expression of freedom. Sin is an expression of continuing bondage. When we sin, we show just how wrapped up we are, dominated we are by sin. But if you're not convinced by that, if you, if you don't believe that, Paul pushes further. And says, okay, well, what was it like serving sin? What did you get? Now, he says, now you're, you're set free from sin. But before that, you were free from righteousness. You enjoyed a kind of freedom. 
that there was a freedom that you had when you were living under sin. It was freedom from righteousness, he says. Righteousness was not the ruling principle in your life, in other words. Sin was the ruling principle. And at that time, you didn't have these concerns about being faithful. You didn't feel horrible whenever you sin because you weren't under that bondage. What fruit were you getting at that time? How was that working out for you? He's asking. What was that like? What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? You look back on your life when you were serving sin. And when you look back at what you did, you look back at the way you lived, the choices you made, how you treated people, what you were willing to do. And now you're ashamed of those things. You wouldn't want everybody to know some things that honestly wouldn't have bothered you if people had known back then. You look at them differently now. There's shame involved. Shame, weirdly, is one of the fruit of serving sin. That sense of shame, that sense of alienation from our own actions is one of the payments that sin gives us. It's one of the consequences of committing sin. It's not the only one, though. The shame is sort of what you get along the way. Like the shame comes from the actions, but the actions, they tend towards death, Paul says. The end of those things, the telos of those things is death. Their trajectory which is interesting if you think about it, like every little act of sin, every little disobedience, every little bending of the rule, every little tiny bit of wickedness, all of it in some small way is an anticipation of, a contribution to death. All of it is bringing death about, is bringing death on. All of it, no matter how small it seems, is in service to death because death is the inevitable end of that pattern of sin. In other words, living under sin, we were complicit in our own destruction. We were tearing ourselves down through our own efforts. Proverbs 14 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. What's significant there is not only that that sin leads to death, but the first part of the proverb that says, this is the way that seems right. When you're under the rule of sin, under the reign of sin, it, it seems right. You're doing what comes naturally. You're doing what's expected of you. You're doing what everybody else is doing. This seems like the right path. You're making what seem to be wise choices. And that's the danger. That's the, the irony of it. If you knew that you were destroying yourself, you would have reason to stop. But it doesn't seem like that's what you're doing. It seems the opposite. And that's how pernicious the rule of sin is. It's only after the fact that you look back in shame at what you did when you served sin. In Galatians 6, Paul says, the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. 
but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Sowing is planting. It's working. You're sowing the seeds of your own corruption when you serve sin. But now that's changed. If you've been set free from sin, if you've become what Paul is calling a slave of righteousness or here a slave of God, then you're still sowing, but what you're sowing leads to a different end. It leads to eternal life. So first he asks, what fruit were you getting before? And then he asks you to consider the difference in the fruit that you are experiencing now, that you've been set free from sin. You remember what the old life was like, but what is the new life like? What has freedom from sin actually brought you, in other words? It's a good question because in one sense, you might look at your life and say, well, it hasn't brought all that I expected. You look at your life and say, you know, I don't feel free from sin. I still struggle with sin. So I feel like it hasn't brought me everything that I expected it to. There was pain and suffering as a result of sin. I understand that. But now that I'm free from sin, I kind of thought that the pain would subside. And it isn't like that. I had lots of doubt and uncertainty before, but now I kind of imagined that I would just have faith and abundance and never doubt and never waver. And it's not like that. And so I look at the fruit and it's easy to say, Not much has changed. Not much has changed. But Paul is saying here, look again. Look again. And you may see that more has changed than you realize. There is fruit, but the fruit is different. The fruit is the fruit of the Spirit that he speaks of in Galatians. Those good and promising things that lead to life. Those things that are summarized under that heading of faithfulness. You do see that breaking out now that you serve God, sin. And also your life has a different telos, a different goal, a different end. Because what you're doing now doesn't lead to death. What you're doing now leads to sanctification. Sanctification, we've talked about that a lot. It's kind of Paul's theme now that he is in chapter 6 and moving forward. We talked about justification in the first five chapters of Romans. And now really we're talking about sanctification. Sanctification, fancy Latinate term, or actually a pretty simple concept. Uh, Sanctification is just being conformed to the image or the pattern of Christ, being more like Jesus, being uh, set apart, being made holy by the power of the Spirit over time. That's the process of sanctification. Um, I think I've mentioned before, it's simply uh, sanctus is the Latin word for holy. You know, in Latin, when the angels sing holy, 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 they are really singing sanctus, sanctus, sanctus. So sanctification is just holification. The process of being made holy and to be holy is to be set apart, to be set apart for a special purpose by God. That's what's happening in your life as you serve God. Set free from sin, now you serve God and you are being sanctified. You're not perfect. There's plenty to point to as evidence that you're not perfect. 
But if you look again, Paul says, you will see evidence of holiness. You will see fruit. Even if it's just little buds, you will see fruit of sanctification, which gives you a glimpse of the eternal life that is to come. All of the fruit of the Spirit contribute to wholeness, to life. And every good deed, every act we do under the influence of the Spirit, no matter how small, gives you a kind of glimpse, a little reflection of that eternal life that is to come. When you compare the two fruit, what you get from serving sin, what you get from serving God, it reinforces a principle that we saw in the last paragraph, the idea that everything depends on who you serve. Everything depends on who you serve. How you live, where you end up, all of it depends on something as simple as who you present yourself to for service. You present yourself like a soldier to the king of unrighteousness of sin, then you work destruction on yourself. You present yourself in service to God. It leads to life. Serving God instead of sin means trading shame for joy. Serving God instead of sin means trading death for life. Which is why Peter in 1 Peter 2 says, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. The difficulty for us in wrapping our minds around freedom is that freedom so often seems like a cover-up for evil. We ask questions like, should we sin so that grace may abound? Are we now free to do whatever we want to do and there are no consequences? Because we think about freedom as the thing that lets us do the bad stuff without having to reap the consequences of it. But the freedom that we have in Christ is a freedom that isn't just an excuse to do evil. It is a freedom that allows us to live as we were made to live, which is as servants of God. And that's what brings Paul to this difference between wages and gifts. Paul says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. End of the chapter. It's a great little saying. It's kind of punchy. That should be on the Romans road. It is. But there's a shift that takes place in that verse, which is interesting, because what Paul's been doing up to this moment is making comparisons. Like he's emphasizing the likeness, not of the result, Kind of the pattern, you might think. There's there's a need to serve God, and it's the opposite of the serving of sin that we used to do. But but you can see there's still that same pattern to it. It's about serving. It's about presenting yourself for service. And so a natural you could draw is something like this. Paul is saying, look, you used to serve sin, and, and what sin pays is death. That's the wages of sin. You were working for sin, and when it was time to get your paycheck, you opened it up and you looked, and it said death. And that's not surprising because that's the wages of sin. But now you don't work for sin anymore. You work for God. So when payday comes, you get in line with the other believers 
when you get your envelope, you rip it open and you look at that check and it turns out it says life, not death, because the wages of sin is death, but the wages of obedience is life. But that's not what Paul is saying. That's not what he's saying at all. In fact, here's where the comparison ends. Because he doesn't say the wages of sin are death and the wages of righteousness are life. He says the wages of sin are death and the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's a difference between wages and gifts. So there's two points he's emphasizing when he says that the wages of sin is death. The first is what we've said already that Paul said a number of times. It's that death is the end result of sin. That all the death that we see, that we experience in all of its forms, that is a result or a payment of sin. He's been saying that since chapter one of Romans. But there's another flavor to this now that's entering in. Paul is saying not only that the end result of sin is death, but he's also saying that through our sin, we have earned death. We've earned it. It is ours by right because we worked for it. We deserve it. And the Greek word that's translated here as wages, you could also translate payoff. It's a little bit different from paychecks, the way that I've been talking about paychecks. Because paychecks come, you know, every week or every couple of weeks with a kind of regularity. But but this isn't quite that kind of payment. This is more like, you think of it this way, it calls back to that word hoplos. Uh, it calls back to the idea of the soldier presenting himself before his general or his king for service. After you finish that term of service, you've gone to fight the king, the war is over, and now it's time to disband the army, you receive your payoff or your wages. Like you get the money that was promised to you for your service at the end of that period of service. That's the kind of wage that Paul has in mind here. So it's not just a recurring thing, but it's kind of a once-for-all payment that comes at the end of the service. What he's saying is that at the end of a life lived in service to sin, the payoff is death. This is what you get as payment from your king for all the service that you have given him. So death is earned. It's something that we've worked for, something that belongs to us by right, which isn't usually the way we think about this. We look at death, we think, I didn't deserve that. That's not what I deserved. Nobody deserves that. It's inflicted on us. It's something done to us. It's something we receive despite not deserving it. We should live, but instead... We were given death, and it's not right, it's not fair, it's a, a shock. And here Paul is saying, no, this is your payment for services rendered. It's death, and you dug the grave. There's a heaviness to that, a weight to it, 
a responsibility. If the life you lived in service to sin, it always pays the same. You lived it, you served it, and you're getting what you've earned. It is yours by right. No one can take it from you. You possess this. It's just not something you ever would have wanted. Life, eternal life, by contrast, you can't earn it. You never receive it by right. It's not something you've worked for. Eternal life in Christ is a free gift. It is a free gift that God gives graciously, not out of obligation, not because it's payday and everyone who has served him gets to line up and God says, all right, here's your life. You've earned it. Not at all. God gives that life graciously. He gives it with liberality, even though you didn't work for it and you don't deserve it. It's not yours by right. And no one who doesn't receive life has been unfairly deprived of it because it's only ever received as a gift by grace. Salvation is a free gift. And by contrast, death is what we've earned. It's easy to think sometimes that we deserve God's forgiveness, that we deserve God's love, that he owes it to us. We all deserve it. It's not fair that God would single anyone out for special treatment. Everybody should get special treatment. This is what God owes us, especially considering how bad the world is that he made us live in. If you think about it, eternal life is the least he can do for the conditions that he's made us endure. That's the way we think about the gift of salvation. Paul says, no. Now, all, all the bad stuff, the death, the suffering, all that, that's what you've earned through your service to sin. The life comes as a gift, wholly undeserving. The reason why Paul is at such great pains to emphasize that salvation is by grace through faith and not by works is that if you worked for it, then you earned it. It is yours by right, and there is no reason to feel grateful. It's polite. If you're at work and you get your paycheck, it's polite to say thank you. It's polite to say, oh, I'm so grateful to the boss for paying the check. But if the boss doesn't pay checks next week, You're not going to say, well, you know, sometimes he pays, sometimes he doesn't, but blessed be the boss, right? No, of course not, because you worked for that. You earned it. It is yours. The kind of gratitude that we're called to as Christians is not that sort of lip service gratitude. Like, it is so awesome for God to have given us what he's given us. Thank you so much for giving it to us because, I mean, we deserve it. It's not that at all. It's the kind of gratitude that comes from recognizing that you don't, that you couldn't possibly deserve it. And and what that does is, first of all, it creates a radical humility so that you can never, never like lord it over others, see yourself as better than others, anything like that, because you recognize that if you have anything, you have it only as a gift and not at all because of some merit on your part. But also, it creates in us a gratitude that, that is the foundation for a response of faithfulness. 
But it is out of gratitude that we live a life of obedience. We don't work for life. We work because of it. Out of gratitude for it. Which is an entirely different thing. The obedience, the faithfulness, the sanctification of a Christian is not meant to earn a thing. We don't do it to earn our salvation. And we don't do it to earn God's continuing favor. We do it out of love for what he's done for us. Because we want to be like him. And we want to serve him. Whether it's salvation by works or just salvation by will. Just salvation by making the right choices, choosing better than others. All of it diminishes the giftedness of grace. That what God has done in Christ is give of himself, literally, for us. Freely. That he has lavished it out for us. And that we have to respond to it as you would to any gracious gift that you understand was none of your doing. You respond with love, with gratitude. If we got what we deserved, we would all die condemned. But thanks be to God, we don't get what we've earned. If we are in Christ, we receive eternal life as a free gift. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.